Welcome back to Beat Seeker. I'm your host, Matt McButter. In each episode, we explore the shifting world of music with world-renowned experts and artists to take you deep, deep inside the fascinating and changing world of music technology and music discovery. And I'm your host, Mike Weider, reminding you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you like the episode. You can visit our website at beatseeker.fm where you'll find plenty of rabbit holes with extra content to dive into, guest backgrounds, and even a playlist with music recommendations from each of our guest episodes. Also, Beatseeker swag. You can stay current and talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BeatseekerPod. The iPhone was first introduced in 2007. This world-changing product brought us some amazing benefits, but it also created some issues. Besides the screen addiction affecting us all, there's also growing evidence that our constant use of headphones might be creating a hearing loss epidemic, especially in young people. We wanted to learn what listening habits might contribute to the problem, and if there's anything we can do about it. To answer our questions, we reached out to one of the world's leading experts on the topic, Dr. Shelley Chada. She was trained as an otolaryngologist at the University of Delhi, India, where she also undertook doctoral studies in public health. Dr. Chada oversees the WHO's work on prevention of deafness and hearing loss, including advocacy for prioritization of hearing care, technical support to countries for development of hearing care strategies, and development of technical tools and guidance. She joins us today from Geneva, Switzerland. Shelley, welcome to BeatSeeker. Thank you, Matt. Pleasure to be here with you and Mike. Shelley, hearing loss is probably not something most young people think about very much. I certainly didn't when I was younger. It's more of an older person's issue. And, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to think about it a little bit more. Um, but I, I do understand that a recent report that you uh, issued highlighted over 1 billion people aged 12 to 35 years old risk losing their hearing due to prolonged and excessive exposure to loud music and other recreational sounds. That's a quote there. Can you elaborate on this and what? tell us a little bit about what the WHO's role is in this issue and why you're highlighting the issue with younger people now? Uh, thanks, Matt. Yes. Uh, thank you, firstly, for reading the report and WHO's uh, messages and then for also sharing it with others. So, indeed, I'm happy to talk about this. Um, so, this report really comes or, or this number really comes from looking at research which has been carried out over the years, looking at how people are listening to music over their uh, devices like uh, um, an MP3 player or their smartphones, um, and also how they've been listening, how much sound they're consuming in, let's say, concerts or uh, uh, when they're going to a disco, etc., or a club. So that is where this, and, and by doing an analysis of uh, what has been reported from many countries across the world, uh, that is how we came to this estimate that about 50% of uh, people, of young people, um, they often listen in a way where they are putting their hearing at risk, often mostly unknowingly. I think uh, you're right when you say that people don't think about their hearing. And the reason for it, I, I feel, is also because we take it so much for granted. You know, our ears are always listening. They're always 24-7 on the job. Uh, we can close our eyes and know what it is like not to see, but we cannot close our ears and know what it's like not to hear. Even when we are sleeping, our ears keep working. 
But here I want to point out an issue that when we say these people are at risk of hearing loss, we don't mean uh, we don't mean that you know all of these a billion people could become deaf. So it's not like you completely lose your hearing. But what happens is really slow, and and it comes up on you before you realize it. It will manifest initially as a as a ringing sound in the ear, or when you go out with friends and you. You know, you're not catching everything that you that they say, and you start like uh, just nodding your head to uh, look like, yeah, yeah, you're getting it. And then uh, gradually, it's a few more words, and you have to ask them to repeat themselves, and and it progresses like that. So it's really slow, um, but it can happen pretty fast, depending upon how loud you listen and and how long you enjoy listening to that music. Hmm. That's interesting. It it happened to me last night. I was out in a crowded environment and I had to ask my friend to repeat something he said to me three (laughs) or four times. I was just telling Mike prior to this interview. So is, is there evidence that you're using of increased hearing loss already happening in younger people right now? And if so, what are, what do those stats look like? So there are um, stats from across the world which show that hearing loss is on the rise in general across uh, uh, across the population. But there is also research coming from uh, from certain countries like the U.S., which has shown that uh, increasingly now young people, and when I'm talking about young people, I, I think the research that I'm citing is about 19 years old, um, who about 20% of whom actually had a, a hearing curve, which was exactly like you would have in hearing loss in noise induced hearing loss. So that is something which was not so evident in previous uh, uh, cohorts and previous studies, but is now becoming evident. And that is certainly something which um, correlates or corrupt, corrupt corroborates uh, what we have been saying, which is that uh, um, listening and the increased access that people now have to uh, to devices which enable us, it's fantastic. We can listen to music on the go or, or whatever we want to listen to, you know, whatever content we want to listen to, we can listen to it anywhere at any time. Uh, but then it comes also with a price that is being paid in terms of our hearing health. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I imagine that it's, you know, it, it's one of these surfaces or it's one of these issues that's kind of maybe starting to bubble to the fore, it, you know, starting to, um, you know, enter the public consciousness or the public conversation a little bit. Maybe, is there an analogy to uh, maybe to smoking? I mean, it's not, not as deadly, obviously, but, you know, for, uh, you know, everybody for years thought smoking was not harmful, right? I mean, for, for decades, it's hard for younger people to even understand that. And then, you know, as it sort of started we you know, public health and education, uh, and research started to show, no, this is actually, uh, affecting millions of people. So do you, do you think that will happen with, you know, an awareness will kind of, uh, come about around, hearing loss and some of the behaviors that we're engaging in that are contributing to hearing loss and start to emerge more in the the public consciousness? That's exactly what we are aiming for. So if we are successful in what we are trying to do, uh, we hope that 
uh, the dangers of uh, loud sounds will be realized in the same way as the dangers of cigarette smoke have been realized. You're absolutely right. Cigarette smoking or smoking was actually prescribed for uh, anxiety and so on. I don't know, some yeah. uh, hundred years ago, but uh, we realize now how how that uh, how that has played out. And the same realization has to come for for noise. Mm-hmm. Loud sounds are to your ears what uh, what smoking is to your lungs. Hmm. Once your hair cells are dead because of noise, uh, they're not coming back. Or loud sounds. I mean, noise is not a good term to use in the context of music because obviously we don't like listening to noise, but it's about the volume and not so much the character of the sound here. Yeah. Some of the music that I listen to, people, my, my mom used to categorize as noise anyway, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I recognize Indeed. it as, as good art. So most people are, are tested at birth, I, I think, at least, you know, here in, in Canada, I know that mm-hmm. to be the case. And then not really tested again until, you know, much later in life, maybe, you know, when they're getting older and are about to be, there's a problem and they're about to be fitted for a hearing aid. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how will we know if these younger people are losing their hearing if we're not doing any testing. Yeah, it's a good point. We do recommend that hearing is tested also in schools. Um, And for those who are at risk, uh, for example, people who are working in uh, loud uh, occupations and in noisy occupations and so on. But you're absolutely right. There is no, uh, in almost no countries there across the life courses, systematic testing, but that's also where we need to take our own, you know, health into our hands. And there are a number of apps. WHO has an app. It is called the Hear Who app. Hear WHO app. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a five minute test. Anybody can download it free of cost on the Android or iOS phones, and they can check their hearing. They can get a score and they can know if they're doing okay or they need to go for a hearing test and they can monitor over time. So the app will store your uh, data, store your score, and then you can check again after a year and see how you're doing if you're going down on that scale or maintaining yourself. So it's, it's certainly, uh, there are ways in which we can do it. Of course, systematically can be done at the government level, but it is also a lot of uh, uh, resources that the government needs to put into doing systematic screening. Mm-hmm. And we have to accept that uh, those kind of resources, including human resources for actually doing that assessment, are not available easily. So an easy fix for that is to be responsible and check our own hearing, especially if you love music. You want to be sure that your ears keep working well. I should do that. I'm worried that I've already done some damage. (laughs) Give it a try. It takes only five minutes and and a pair of good headset, uh, uh, headphones, which I can see that you have. Yeah. All right. I'll do that. Maybe, Shelley, maybe we could talk a little bit about phones and, you know, I guess it was 2007 that the iPhone launched. Um, So we've had these phones now for 15 years where they've had the ability to play music and where, you know, if you walk around on the street or you're on a, a bus or a subway or a plane, it's ubiquitous. Almost everybody has the headphones in, especially young people. 
you know, 24 seven, you know, when, when I grew up, you know, we had Sony Walkmans and people did listen to music on the go, but in no way was it even close to as ubiquitous as it is today with, uh, with the smartphones that we have. Um, do you think that this, the, the, the use of these phones and the fact that we have them on us all the time, and as you say, can play anything, music or other, other content is the thing that is unique and different. And, um, maybe we could talk a little bit about that and, and really, you know, how people can protect themselves. Like what is a safe volume of listening? How long should people be listening? Maybe you could give us a little bit of a primer on, on, on phones and, uh, and the best practices around their use. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. And indeed, uh, phones are universal now. And, uh, and, and it's, it's really uh, something which is fantastic because we can stay connected everywhere. The challenge is posed really by how we are using this technology. Um, and we can mitigate that challenge simply by monitoring uh, or uh, you know, modifying our own behavior. So it's all about making that individual choice to listen safely. When we say listen safely or avoid the risk of hearing loss, just to give you an idea, it, it's really about uh, having, uh, or rather your risk is really a trade-off between how loud you listen and how long you listen. Putting it very simply, the lower your volume, the longer you can enjoy music. So if somebody, for example, is listening at a volume typically below 60% of their uh, device's maximum volume, it's unlikely that even listening for you know, slightly longer periods of time, they're going to put their hearing at risk. But if you enjoy and you want to really listen to music at a louder level, then you can do that, but you have to reduce the time you want to listen to. And there, are now apps which are available and they're available in many uh, in some of the smartphones the leading uh, smartphones they are available in if you go to the health app of your device you may find there a hearing health app and this app actually gives you uh, how much volume you've listened to in, in decibels it tells you also uh, what is a good volume to listen at? It tells you also how long you have listened over the week. And it gives you in, you know, red, green or blue or something like that in color coding, how, if you're putting yourself at risk. So that's a very easy fix on how to monitor your risk. That's a great one. I, you know, I know that the iPhone, which is the one I use, but obviously it's the same with Android, that they have these screen time reports where they tell you yeah. how long you've been on the screen. But what you're yeah. saying is it's the same thing, but for your ears in that exactly. it's telling you listen time. Um, exactly. And that's cool because I don't know a lot of people know that that yeah. even exists as a feature. They don't highlight it as much as they do with yeah. the screen time. Because they don't send you notifications, uh, but exactly. it does yeah. exist and it is recording. So you simply have to access it. That's interesting. I just, I just wanted to point out that it, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, there, like just to, to draw another analogy of sun exposure, right? It's the, the intensity sort of like where you are, you know, like how and what your elevation is and what the conditions are like is kind of. Is, is kind of how one of the factors out, and right. then also how long yeah. you're out there for. And yeah. yeah, that's great. I had no idea that you could 
Um, it's, you know, it's like the, uh, the, the report that shows you what the, uh, you know, like what the sun exposure is going to be. That's really, that's really cool. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go in there right now. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Shelly, I found that, you know, when I'm on a plane or a bus or something that's noisy, then clearly you need to turn that volume up in order to hear uh, content, especially I listen to a lot of podcasts and mm -hmm. hearing what the person is saying is hard without it being loud. Mm -hmm. Now, with some of the headphones, they have noise cancellation. And I mm -hmm. found that I could have the volume a lot lower without, um, you know, with the noise cancellation on. Is that also a best practice in that the noise cancellation features could reduce the volume I need to listen to, thus maybe get me below that 60% number that you're talking about? Absolutely. So uh, certainly, and when you're in environments such as, you know, where there is a background noise, usually a low frequency uh, noise, which is what uh, noise cancelling headphones cancel, such as in an airplane or in a train, in a crowded train, if you're traveling, you using noise cancelling headphones can certainly reduce the need to turn up the volume. And, and that's uh, certainly a recommendation. If you can afford one, invest in a good quality uh, noise cancelling set mm. of earphones or headphones, because that will certainly help to protect your hearing. So we've we've all probably been to a, or many of us have been to a concert where we've come home and our ears are just ringing. And in the morning, it's gone, mostly gone. I've even felt a little bit of an effect, after effect sometimes. So can you explain what's happening here? And should we be concerned about this level of exposure as well? Indeed. When the uh, when you get a ringing in your ear, it's like, you know, your ears crying for help and attention. So respect that. Because what is happening when you're in the noisy environment, think of it that you go for uh, for a run every day, but then one day you decide to really charge through and, and you know, really run very fast and, and your legs get tired, right? Mm -hmm. And that is what is happening to your hair cells, okay. so to the little cells inside the ear, which are, which are used for listening. And these cells, they get fatigued, they get tired because they have to move with the sound and they get tired uh, when they have to move very fast and very hard, they move, they get tired. And that is why you get this, uh, this ringing sound. That's your ears uh, cells. Uh, getting tired. And then when they have rested in a quiet environment, so by next morning or the midday next day, they may would have recovered uh, to, to be able to function again properly. But what happens is that our traditional understanding has been that the ear cell recovers. And then when this happens repeatedly, the ear cells start to die out. They're the chemicals within it get depleted and it starts to die out. And we typically are born with like 15, 20,000 of these cells. And when they die, they're not replaced. There is nothing known to um, humankind right now, no medicine, no chemicals, no surgical or, or any kind of intervention that can replace or regenerate uh, a dead uh, cell in the ear. But what we now know also happens is that ultimately when we are having this ringing sound, the 
cells don't ever fully recover from this, from the damage of the loud sounds. So even at that point, even if you're at that point, your hearing recovers and then the tinnitus settles down, you still have got some damage, which is going to add up over time and become hearing loss. And when I say over time, it's not like it may will wait till you're 60 or 70 to present itself. It can happen in a matter of a, a few years. It depends on how much, you know, how many events of this nature you're attending. So if you're doing it every week, then that time could be pretty short. Okay. So in your in your muscle, in your running analogy, you know, our muscles get tired but then they recover and in fact, sometimes strengthen to handle a bigger run the next time. What you're saying is that hearing loss is different in that the fatigue that you experience is actually not ever strengthening these cells, it's actually weakening them and that over time it can weaken them to the point where they no longer function. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is uh, true. So thank you for pointing that out, uh, Mike, because we wouldn't want to give uh, <laughs> listeners the impression that listening to loud sounds is somehow strengthening their uh, ear cells. Indeed. You're That's right. right. Yeah. Well, this uh, this weekend, I was going to go and do a, give myself a good ear workout. I thought it was, and it's not going to make them any stronger. Okay. So I, you know, as, as someone who's going to be attending a, a lot of <laughs> a fair number of, of, uh, of shows and concerts over the next few months. I understand that the, uh, that the WHO has released an international standard for safe listening at venues and concerts. So can you walk us through and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try and adopt some of this for my own attendance. What is this standard yeah. and, and, uh, and what do you hope to accomplish with it? Yeah. So, <sighs> One thing we realize in, in promoting uh, safe listening is that while on one hand we have to uh, inform people and uh, give them the right information so they can make good choices, but at the same time we also have to create an, an environment that promotes or supports safe listening practices. And that's why, uh, you know, the app that I already mentioned uh, in, in smartphones, that is also being part of the work which WHO has done. And now we have uh, released this standard, which is about the venues. And what we hope to achieve by this is, yeah, so it is one thing to tell people that you know, listen safely when you and, and protect your hearing when you go to a concert. But it's not so easy for them to do that if the venues themselves are putting out music, which is 130 decibels uh, loud. There's only so much that even ear protection can can work. So what this standard does is really try to um, facilitate an environment which will enable people to listen safely, but at the same time, be able to enjoy their music fully. Because one thing that WHO is not is, and, and I want to put this as a disclaimer, it's not here to uh, you know, curtail people's fun or, or take away their enjoyment of music. So one thing that this uh, standard, one of the main components of this is, to have a loudness limit, a sound limit, but it's not an absolute limit. It's not like you can't go at all above 100 decibels. It's an average. So what it says is that in a 15 minute period, the average volume of the place should be 100 decibels or less. So, okay. so that is one. 
And and how do I how do I know what the decibel level is? Like, could I? Are there is there an app or something on my phone where I could measure the 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 yeah. decibel level? Yes, absolutely. There are many apps now available and, and they are for free. But one of the best apps that I have seen very well validated and very accurate is uh, an app which has been released by the National Institute of uh, Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, in, uh, which is part of CDC in the US. It's, uh, it's called uh, NIOSH SLM. It's got a slightly strange name. But nevertheless, it is a very, very good app. It's there for people to, you know, download and use for free to check um, how loud the place is. So, yeah, anybody that's, can do uh, that. That's great. And do, do you have any sense for, uh, you know, if I went to an average concert uh, venue, what percentage of them do you think would comply with this standard t today? And I guess it's probably a function of how close I am to the front. If I'm front row in front of a 100 feet tall stack of Marshall <laughs> amps versus at the back, it's probably yeah, very yeah, different. Yeah. But, but in general, has the WHO in creating the standard done any sampling to really understand what is the current state of how close people would be to this average 100 dB standard? So we have not done any of uh, this kind of a sampling to assess that. We have what is reported in literature, what is reported in studies um, from different countries. And that review of that tells us that the volumes can range. It depends a lot on what the place is and where you are within that place as well but it can range from 90 decibels to as high as 130 decibels in certain places. So uh, it, it also depends on what are the local regulations in many places, like in Switzerland, where I am currently, there are already regulations in place which do not permit the volume to go beyond a certain limit. Um, but I want to make the point here that this standard, because I was saying that it's not just about, it's not about taking away your fun. And what the standard also talks about, in addition to this, um, this limit or this average limit, is how the sound should be distributed. It's also about sound distribution, because what audio engineers, what acousticians tell us and not me because I'm not one, but what I've learned from them is, and perhaps what has been your experience as well, uh, Matt, since you go to so many of the concerts, is that if the sound management, if the sound distribution is good, then you do not need really to turn the volume up so high to get that good feel of music. Firstly, to enjoy the quality of music. And secondly, what this good sound distribution and management does is it reduces this discrepancy, the one where uh, if you stand next to the speakers, you are getting blown away. And then if you're at the, you know, at the other end of the venue, mm -hmm. uh, you can, you don't get the experience. So what it does is it also uh, ensures more uniform distribution of uh, sound and a better listening experience. Interesting. So that is yeah. the second element of it. Okay. And yeah, and the third element of this standard is really about personal protection. So which is uh, using earplugs. Okay. So it is about 
having access of course, availability of earplugs at the venues so that people can use them and uh, protect their hearing because we know that using the earplugs can actually reduce how much sound you get depending upon the earplug but it can reduce it quite effectively i see yeah i was going to ask if i should be wearing you know ear ear protection at times i mean if i, I guess particularly if you're in a high intensity part of the venue like standing in front mm-hmm. of these 100 foot martial amps then maybe you want to mm-hmm. you want to put those in so that's great i mean i that my big takeaway from this is you know i never really thought about it in terms of the frequency and the intensity, right? Or the duration and the intensity and kind of thinking about those as the two variables that you're trying to work within in order to minimize your exposure. So fascinating stuff, Shelley. Yeah. But I want to say that while we wait for and hope that every venue in the world will ultimately comply with this standard, but in the meantime, uh, people like, uh, like all of us, can help our own selves by um, by firstly making sure you don't stand next to the to the speakers. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> keep a bit of distance. Um, <clears throat> check out uh, apps if you if you can see how much the sound level is and try to uh, stay at a place where it's comparatively lesser. If if that works for you. Um, also, what really helps and, and is also part of the standard, by the way, is to find a quiet place from time to time. So if you're going to be in a venue, let's say for, for, for the entire evening, go and take a bit of a break after an hour in a quiet place, rest your ears. That helps also helps them to regenerate as well. I see. So there can be some recovery there. Okay. That's yes. And, and use earplugs. And use earplugs. Okay, I'm gonna have to go get some. It seems a little and counterintuitive. If, Sometimes I'm 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 looking for the loud experience, but I I have to recognize yeah. that my you know that I'm getting older and I should definitely be minimizing it. So, Shelley, we also like to ask all of our guests near the end of the podcast if they have a music recommendation. We have a very eclectic playlist, and uh, wondering mm-hmm. if you can uh, give us something to add to it. One of the uh, one of my recent favorite albums is one which just won uh, a Grammy Grammy Award, and it's by um, an Indian musician, uh, Ricky Cage, along with the along with uh, Stuart Copeland. Oh yeah, and Stuart it's Copeland from the Police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's called uh, the Divine Tides. Okay. So well, it's it's my kind of music. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I enjoy all kinds of music, but this is one which I've recently been listening to. That's a great pick. Thank you very much. And finally, if, uh, if our listeners want to follow you or your work, where do you suggest they go? Well, they can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is, uh, Shelly Chadha one. So they're most welcome to do that. And they can look up the WHO website where all of our work on safe listening is uh, is available for the public to see. There's also a Wikipedia page on safe listening, which is updated regularly. Um, you're welcome also to see that. That's fantastic. And we will uh, put links to those in our show notes as well. And uh, Shelley would like to thank you so much for joining us today on Beatseeker. Thanks, Shelley. That was fantastic. Thank you. It is my pleasure. You've been listening to Beatseeker with your hosts, Matt McButter and Mike Wider. If you like the show, 
go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, leave us a rating and a comment and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you want to dig deeper into this content, visit beatseeker.fm. That's B-E-A-T seeker.fm. And if you want to be part of the show, check out our Patreon link. Interact with us on social media at BeatSeekerPod. BeatSeeker is recorded in the Devil Lake Studios and the Tunnel Under Arundel. The show is produced by Matt McButter, Mike Wider, and Kate McCartney. Tim Ratledge is our editor. Thanks for tuning in and keep seeking.